Let us pray. Oh, Father God, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we see how great is our God and how great His love is for sinners like us. So God, through the preaching of Your Word, would You again turn our eyes upon Jesus for He is the only One to behold this morning. All His glory, all His majesty, all His work on our behalf. May He and He alone as our Savior, as Your Son, receive glory. May we receive joy and encouragement. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love that song. I asked our worship team to sing that song before I got up because it was that song that my mom used to sing my godly grandfather into eternity as he was lying there about ready to pass into glory. My mom sang that song. In the midst of that song, he reached to heaven and smiled and breathed his last, literally turning his eyes upon Jesus. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, let's look at 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy will be both in chapter 1 and chapter 3 this morning as we look at a passage that reminds us that godly mothers change the world. Godly mothers change the world. And there's good news, godly women change the world. But especially this morning, we'll look at as well, mothers. I want to tell you a story about a mother who on November 13th gave birth to a baby boy. The mother's name was Monica. She gave birth to this son and she became a single Christian parent. And she did everything she could to raise her boy, Augie, to know and to love Jesus. She committed herself to pray for him every day. Now, when I say she was a single Christian parent, I don't mean that she was a single mom. She wasn't. As a matter of fact, she had a a really a good husband by the name of Patrick. Patrick was a respected city official. Uh, Patrick uh, had a wonderful social status. But Patrick was a pagan. Truly was a pagan. So Monica had the challenge of raising her son to know and love Jesus. She had the challenge of having a husband that wasn't supportive. Early on, a tradition that's not our tradition, Monica made sure the cross was laid upon her child, declaring to the Lord that I will raise this boy to love and know you. She made sure that he was educated, uh, had catechisms, made sure that he knew about Jesus. Well, when he became time to go to school, he went off to school and he left his faith. How often does that happen? Truthfully, he didn't probably leave his faith. He had really no saving faith. He went off to school and he left his mother's faith. Credibly bright young man at the age of 19 reading Cicero would decide that he will live his life in pursuit of wisdom. And knowledge. And sadly, as he walked away from his mother's faith, he walked into the arms of a woman from the other side of the track. 
good woman, but of a different social class. They move in together and they have a child out of wedlock. Monica never stops praying for her boy. Prays for him every day of his life. Even when he seems to just be wandering farther and farther and farther away. It got worse. Because her son joined a cult. He got into some weird third century cult of this uh, dualistic good and evil philosophy that some crazy belief system. And he enmeshed himself into this cult. As a matter of fact, he was so bright that as the years ticked by, he couldn't find answers in the cult. And eventually he said, everybody said, listen, if you meet this one priest of this cult, that will be enlightenment. You'll see. He met the priest and he was disillusioned. Didn't have all the answers. Monica kept praying. Monica kept praying. Monica kept praying. He got into some weird neo-Platonic movement trying to figure out life. And in the age of 30, he goes to hear a silver-tongued preacher preach. And I want you to know, he did not go to hear God's Word. He went because he heard what an incredible orator this preacher was. Monica never stopped praying. Hey, by the way, can any of you relate to Monica? A prodigal son? Any of you relate to Monica? A pagan husband? That's Monica. But Monica believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, continued to pound on heaven's door, and amazingly, through this silver-tongued preacher's message, God started pounding on his heart and reminding him of all that he had been taught. And before he knew it, he found himself in a garden. And in a pretty mystical experience that I don't quite understand, he feels that he hears a child's voice. And the child's voice is telling him, take and read. And he takes God's Word and he reads and he reads out of Romans 13 and 14. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. And he reads this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Great news. Monica's prayers were answered. And the boy surrendered. The man at 30 surrenders his life to Christ. He would write this. From my tenderest infancy, I had in a manner sucked with my mother's milk the name of my Savior Jesus, God's Son. Kind of interesting wording. Probably wouldn't have said it that way. But basically saying, from infancy, with my mother's milk, I got God's Word. I kept it in the recesses of my heart. And all that presented itself to me without that divine name, all the cults, all the things, though it might be elegant, well-written, and even replete with truth, did not altogether carry me away. Here's what he's saying. I pursued after the world. I pursued knowledge and wisdom and everywhere else but Jesus. But what God gave me through Monica, I never lost. And he came to Christ. That silver-tongued preacher baptized him and his son on Easter Sunday in the year 387 A.D. The boy's name is Augustine. 
St. Augustine, his mother known as Monica, and great news, his father, Monica's husband too, later in life, came to Christ and was baptized in the triune God's name before the end of his life. This morning's text is from 2 Timothy, and there's a connection between Augustine and Timothy. Because this young preacher that Paul is writing to, like Augustine, had a believing mom and a pagan father. He had a Christian heritage that was being passed down to him by his godly mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Let us look to God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read verse 5, and then we'll skip over to chapter 3 and read verses 14 and 15. Let's be mindful that we're reading God's holy, inerrant Word. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells or tabernacles or pitches a tent in you as well. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And I really like the translation of the NASB here better. I think it represents the Greek better. It basically will say this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. The transfer took place that every parent dreams of that their faith becomes his or her faith. Knowing from whom you learned it. And by the way, the whom here is not Paul because it's more than singular, it's plural. Really, what Paul is doing is he's pointing back to Lois and Eunice, his godly heritage, and says, remember where you got God's Word. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, may the meditations of my heart, may the words of my mouth be pleasable to You, acceptable to You. O Lord, my God, my Rock and my Redeemer. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. The world-changing role of a godly mother. What is that world-changing role that Timothy had, that Augustine had, that we got to make sure that those we baptize this morning have, that each of our children have? What is that world-changing role of a godly mother? Well, it's this thing. Number one, passing down a godly heritage to our children. I love the lineage. Remember, Timothy did not have a godly father. He had a pagan father. But by God's grace, he had a godly mother, Lois and Eunice. I think I might have messed those two up. But Lois and Eunice were the two. A godly mother and grandmother. The role of women has been wrestled with for a long time now. What is the proper role of women? What's the role in the church? What's the role in the marketplace? What's the role of women in the community? Well, let me tell you what a godly role is. The biblical role, first and foremost, for each of you who call yourself mom, is this. It's to pass down your faith. That is your greatest biblical role. Your greatest biblical role as a mother is a heritage pointing them to Jesus. We see this in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. And throughout Scripture, 
God is very, very clear of what you are to do. Moms, you may not have had a godly heritage. Start one. Moms, your greatest task for the kingdom is to raise young men and women to love Jesus. That is the greatest role you can strive to play. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Society, I look at what society asks our young ladies, our women to do. They're supposed to be all things to all people. Make it in the marketplace. Make it domestically. Make it home. It's an amazing pressure. What is God first and foremost calling you to do? Pass on a godly heritage. Listen, Christian education is not is not an option for Christian parents. Did you hear me? Christian education is not an option for Christian's parents. Christian schools are an option. You could choose to send your kid to a private school, a public school, a Christian school, a home school. It doesn't matter where you and you and your husband pray about that. But Christian education for our children is not optional. God is calling us to press upon them God's Word. God is calling us to raise warriors to advance Christ's kingdom. He has given to you, parents, the primary responsibility of raising godly children to you. Not to the clergy. Not to the church. We come alongside you. And because we believe in a godly heritage so much at this church, and because we believe so much that God transforms the world through a godly lineage, we have a Christian school. We have a school that will teach our young people and point them to Jesus. And we put a ton of resources there because we believe in it and we're proud of it. You may or may not choose to use that, but if you do, let me remind you, we are in the second spot. We're supporting you. It is not good enough to have your kid go to a Christian school and walk away saying they will train them. I have now abdicated my role and I've placed it over there. No, Christian education has to be passed on by the parents, each and every one of us. Um, We have come along to support that. But it's not an option. Second thing is this, pressing upon our children God's truth. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says this since childhood. This has been pressed upon Timothy. Since infancy, he's heard about it. And sometimes I've been around so many Christian school students who will want to say things like, I've heard this my whole life. I almost can't get enough about it. And our response should be, Amen, Hallelujah. And hopefully someday, you like Timothy, by the grace of God, will say, and I have become convinced of. But we need to press upon them God's Word. You can't press upon someone something you don't have. You can't press upon something something you don't know. Godly uh, women and men, we've got to get in God's Word so we can pass it along to them. Here's the reality that the world we live in. We want to give a lot to our children. I mean, we want everything. A great education, I want it too. Great athletic programs, I want it too. Social status, I want it too. But do we really put God's word first? True confessions as a pastor, it's really hard. I feel like we're like in third string sometimes. Very, not a mandatory thing uh, to come to church, not a mandatory thing to press it upon it, but man, do we get zealous about our athletics, self included? Do we get zealous about making sure those SAT scores are what they need to be? Oh, Florida's hard to get into these days, so let's get them up. I understand. Those are important things. But is the number one passion of our hearts, Christians, pressing upon our children God? 
Is the number one thing in our hearts pressing upon our kids God's word? We can't press upon them what we don't know. But let me tell you some really good news. Listen, you got to listen to me because right now you think I'm beating you up. I'm not. Listen, here's who you have to be as a parent. A sinner who loves Jesus. Can you do that? You don't have to be Augustine. You don't have to be Jeff. You don't have to be a, a Dr. K and a Rhodes Scholar. Be real. Your children and your grandchildren can sniff hypocrisy a mile away. All you have to be is transparent. Show them that you need a Savior named Jesus. Live your life in faith and repentance before them. That is the Gospel and it's so powerful. You and I could do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Press it upon them. But you know what? This role for many could say, okay, how does this apply to me, Jeff? I'm sitting here and God hasn't blessed me with this role. But this is not just a role for women. This is a, or for mothers. This is a world-changing role for all women. Second point, the world-changing power of women. Men, here's some humbling news. Some really, really humbling news. Men, on our very best day, we needed help. On our very best day. I mean, God tells us in creation story, an amazing story, that God created all things and He looked at all He created and said, man, good. And He looked at one thing and said, very, very good. And that's man in His image. That we were created to know and love Him. And in the beginning, we had this relationship with God that we walked in paradise with God in the cool of the evening. I'm not sure what that means, but it really sounds great. And God gave man dominion over all things. This is what it's saying. Men, in the beginning, we had more than just control of the remote control. We had control over God's creation representing Him as what we call like a vice regent. We had God in paradise and in control. And God looked at us and said, mm, not good. Man's alone. Not good. Man needs help. I'll have to make him another. And there's a great story that showed Adam how he knew he was alone and how he knew that he needed another. And it's in the Genesis story of two, Genesis 2. And it's when God brings Adam all the animals to name. And you just get this great picture in Scripture that God's kind of watching Adam name the animals. Hippopotamus, oh great, man. Giraffe, oh yeah, I like that one. As if God didn't know. But what in the world was God doing allowing Adam to name the animals? Did he not have enough names? He was showing Adam two things. One, Adam, you are in control because when you name someone, your children, you show that you have authority over them. I'm going to give you that authority, Adam. Name the animals. But I'm also going to do something else, Adam. I'm going to show you that you are alone. That you need more. That you need a helpmate. And I can't help but picture my mind's eye that when God brought the dog there and it was a golden retriever and Adam got on the ground and he's petting that dog and he got a bone and they're playing fetch. He's like, is this my helpmate? Is this it? He said, no, there's something more. I'm going to make woman. On our best day, men, we needed help. What do we need help with? God's ultimate plan was to make creation. Listen, God's ultimate plan was to create man a helpmate, a woman, so that creation would be a place where humankind can dwell with God in peace and love. We couldn't do it together. Why did God create women? So that you and I together, we can fill the earth as men and women for His glory. Yes, that includes having children. Yes, that includes having homes. But it's so much more. 
God has created for us a fellow warrior for the kingdom. That's you, women. God has created for us an advocate, a friend, a lover, in the same cause to advance Christ's kingdom. It's not just a call for mothers. Young ladies, you don't have to wait for an altar or a wedding dress to find God's purpose. It's for you today. And here is your purpose. God created women to be what the Scripture calls easers. Not geezers, easers. That's a helpmate. And throughout Scripture, that is used in very much mighty warrior. Sometimes the nation of Israel would look to other nations as easers, as helpmates. Sometimes good and sometimes bad. God has called Himself an easer. I raised my Ebenezer, stone of strength. God created women so that together, men and women, men and women, would make and fill this place to be paradise where God and man and woman can dwell together. And it starts today. You are a helpmate ultimately to advance Christ's kingdom, not just to serve your husband. Does that make sense? Your greatest calling, single woman, married woman, widowed woman, child, young girl, your greatest calling is to be a warrior for God and advance Christ's kingdom. I want to thank Carolyn James uh, who really uh, helped unpack that uh, for many of us looking at that word easer. Um, being a spiritual mother to others. Let me quickly talk about what it means to be a spiritual mother. Because some of you would love to be a mom. And I ache with you. I really do. I ache with those of you who, who haven't yet or maybe never have been given that calling. But that doesn't mean you're second in God's household. It doesn't mean it at all. It doesn't. Be a spiritual mother to others. Be an easer. About a week ago, I did a, a phenomenal wedding uh, for uh, phenomenal in the sense it was so much fun for me. It was so much out of the norm. I married a young 18 or 19 year old African American boy to his uh, fiance about the same age. Uh, I was one of three or four white people in the entire place. Uh, I started off the service and said, We're going to have a worship service here today. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a white preacher. And uh, not only am I white, but I'm Presbyterian. And so we get a little stiff. You should come look at my crowd here. And so, uh, um, but let's worship Jesus and let's celebrate. And really, this whole thing was orchestrated by a single woman in our church that loves Jesus. It's an incredible easer. It's an incredible helpmate to advance Christ's kingdom, an incredible friend of mine. And I'm so proud of her because God hasn't called her to be that role biologically but God has called her and she's heard and responded to do that spiritually. She is a spiritual mother. She pours her life into others and so many of the others do the same thing. And I take my hat off. I applaud you. Listen, God has called each and every one of you, mom, non-mom alike, to advance Christ's kingdom. You're of great worth. I love the fact that Jesus' earthly ministry was filled with women easers. If you don't like, if you're a chauvinist that wants this male-dominated world, you won't really like Jesus' ministry. Because He leans heavily upon women to advance Christ's kingdom and to use them in a biblical role. Luke 8, 1-3. We don't have time to go there yet, but I'd like for you to make a note. Look at Luke 8, 1-3. It describes Jesus' disciples. It talks about them going from town to town. 
And you ready for this? They went with women with them. Not only that, they went with women with them, but the women paid the bill. They paid the bill. And maybe you and I are saying, well, that's wonderful. You know, I mean, we live in a society, maybe we go Dutch and maybe a woman can pay the bill. You don't understand how radical this is. The fact that Jesus was hanging out with women, the fact that Luke would even mention that they were part of the band. This is amazing. Why? Because 200 years before Jesus' arrival, uh, not 200, two years before Jesus' arrival, there was a famous Jewish rabbi who wrote about women. He said women can be respected if they're a mother or a wife sometimes. But basically having a daughter is a shameful thing. And the spite of a man is better than the love of a woman. And whatever you do, don't deed your property to women. And whatever you do, if you give them things, take a good account of them. Don't trust them. And don't let them pay for anything. It's a disgrace to you men if you let a woman pay. And what do you have, Jesus? Jesus surrounds Himself with God-fearing women saying, we're going to change the world together. Men and women, we're going to advance Christ's kingdom. You're going to travel with Me. By the way, in that day, to travel with a woman, they had to stay with a relative. We don't know that they did. I just want to present to you a biblical picture of the fact that God uses each of us to advance Christ's kingdom. And I hope and pray through the preaching of His Word that each man and woman and child is encouraged that the bottom line for us is to advance Christ's kingdom. That is what we're called to do, to be easers for Jesus. Lastly is the world-changing grace of God. Uh, this wisdom that he gives for salvation. Here's all I want to say about that. Monica prayed every day for Augustine. And and Scripture tells us in James 5.16 that the prayers of the righteous are effective. Women, our roles, whether spiritually or biologically, is to pass down a heritage. Our role is to be an easer for the kingdom. But the reality is, is there's not a woman in here that's godly enough to ensure that your kids come to Jesus. I'm sorry, but you can't. Only God can turn a heart to Himself. Only God's grace can give us the wisdom that leads to salvation. Do what you can and pray God's blessing over all of it, but none of you feel guilty for the prodigal who won't come home. None of you feel guilty for the husband who hasn't turned back yet. Listen, God's in the heart business. We're not. Okay? It's God's grace that gives us wisdom in terms of salvation. It's God's grace that gives us faith to believe. It's a gift. On November 13th, Monica gave birth to a baby boy. On November 13th, another baby boy was born to a godly mother named Marjorie. And her godly grandmother, or mother, my grandmother, named Esther. And like Monica, and like Lois and Eunice, Marjorie and Esther prayed for that baby boy every day. When I was heading toward ordination, I found letters I didn't know I had from my grandmother, who now has been with Jesus, and the time I found these had been with Jesus a long time. A godly heritage changes the world. I read to a wonderful grandson, I have a Valentine, so honey, this must do. I love you so much, such a wonderful guy. I've always wanted a preacher from your family. 
It's nice to be an athlete and a good student heading off to college. But you know so much of life. I want you to choose it. I won't be around to see you graduate. But you're capable of so very much. In another letter she wrote at the end, I won't live long enough to ever know it, but I hope God calls you to be a preacher and a great comfort and blessing to lots of people. I miss you, and I love you dearly, Grandma. I got her Bible. I read the notes of a godly grandmother praying for my mom. I see a heritage. I have an incredible privilege of my earliest memories that my grandmother would tossle my hair and say, Jeffrey, I'm praying you'll be a preacher someday. Many days I didn't have any desire to be a preacher, but God's plan was upon me. I told somebody this story. He said, now Jeff, really what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to Augustine, both born on November 13th. For those of you who caught that, no, I'm not. But what I'm saying is I am living proof of a godly heritage of a mom and grandmother who loved Jesus and by God's grace pressed it into my soul. And what privilege it is to press it into my own children. How is it with you? Are you a biblical easer, helper to advance Christ's kingdom, whether mom or not? Each of us is called to be that spiritual mother to those around us. Are we making this place paradise together? Together, man and women, children. A place where God and His image bearers together can live in peace. Let us pray. Father God, I thank You for just the incredible way You use Your image, both male and female, to advance Christ's kingdom. Father, thank You for godly mothers like Monica, Lois, and Eunice, Marjorie, and Esther, Sarah, and Katie, and so many others who You use to change the world. But Father, I pray for those like Kim and Judy and and others that, that are just unbelievable spiritual mothers to others. Father, thank You for the call for all of us to be easers. All of us to be helpmates in advancing Christ's kingdom. May we do it for Your glory, knowing that, God, ultimately it's all about Your grace. Would You please advance Your kingdom today? Would You encourage us? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.